My name is Gunner, and I play in a local Austin band called The Big Gun Show. I created this podcast to sit down with other songwriters, musicians, artists, and just lovers of music to talk about their top five records that have inspired their lives and their musical prowess. Tonight I'm speaking with Jay Styles, a.k.a. Crystal Finger. I met Jay when I was playing in Austin at a club called The Rattle Inn. We were playing after him, and once he was done, he asked if I wanted the keys. He said, hey, I've got a pretty good ear if you're into it. And I remember smiling and saying, yeah, sure, let's do this. Anyway, since then, he sits in with my band, The Big Gun Show. Uh, he's got the look, he's got the chops, and he's just so fun to play with. Now, in our conversation, he talks about a couple things that I thought were very interesting. He studied with Victor Wooten, which I thought was really cool. And then he also says how he relates to mangled musicians. Jay has a weekly residency at one of the coolest bars in town called Sea Boys. It's a super cool show. It's a super cool bar. Let's get to the conversation. But first, close your eyes. You're stranded on a desert island. What five records do you have? Okay, I've got Jay Styles here. Um, I'd like to apologize to Jay right off the bat because he came over here and we had an awesome talk. And of course, I forgot to push record. What? I know. I know. <laughs> But we're back. We're back. Yes. And we're on fire. Round two. Um, Jay, let's talk about your top five records. Top five records. Well. Where are you taking them? Oh, right, right. Where am I going to take them? <laughs> Last time you said Desert Island. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, well, the question. Geez, so many options. Um, well, I've definitely thought about. Definitely these records are kind of the ones that I've thought would be played at like a memorial or a celebration of my life in some ways because I, hmm, because of the power of them. But if I was listening to them, yeah, anywhere where in isolation, they would, they would keep me alive. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so I have here Curtis Mayfield, uh, live, which mm -hmm. I had a hard time finding until you told me. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I see Jerry band, uh, how sweet it is. Um, yeah, Jerry Garcia band for those that might not know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Grisman and Grappelli, which is actually Grappelli and Grisman. Okay. Live, Bob Marley survival. Uh, the um, the world of Miriam Makeba. 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 Yeah. Let's start with that last one. The world of Miriam Makeba. Yes. Nice. So Miriam Makeba was a uh, South African singer who came to America, I believe, by way of Harry Belafonte in the early 60s. And they fused... Uh, is he from Trinidad? You got me. Caribbean. Did, did I, he's ca Caribbean for sure. I feel like a lot of the Soca and Calypso influences um, in his music meshed with the South African music that she was making and created some really innovative and cool music at that time in the 60s and then uh but for me her music her voice and her melodies like i in she's singing in languages that i don't understand but i just i react to the to the lyrics and the melodies and the music and yeah it's beautiful makes you feel good mm -hmm. that's what you love about it makes you feel good yeah definitely um <laughs> so when you can't understand the lyrics, yeah, and you can't understand what they're saying, right? Do you kind of get a, a gist of what she's trying to say through emotion and things like that? I yeah. would imagine, yeah. Um, That's what I think the best music does. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, 
There's another, there's a person who I have studied with by the name of Victor Wooten and the way he teaches music is very different than most people, most classical schools of music. One of the most important things they put emphasis on is notes. And uh-huh. Victor, his whole approach, notes is only one of those 13 things. So like emotion and phrasing and tone and all those other things is, you know, to him more important than notes. So you could be playing all the wrong notes, but if you're playing them with all those things, tone and emotion and phrasing and groove, then even the wrong notes can sound right. So, um, so you with Makeba, yeah, every, her, just the emotion for sure. Uh, Victor Wooten, that's, when did you study with him? Um, I went to a, one of his music and nature camps probably eight or nine years ago would be the first one I went to. And then I've run into him off and on over the years and stay in touch, uh, with one of the instructors from one of his camps. And so when they come through town, I see them. And when I go to Colorado, I usually see them too. So mm-hmm. no, he's awesome. He's incredible. Yeah. I highly recommend, uh, Everybody read the music lesson, one of the best books ever. The music lesson, yeah, and that's by Victor. By Wooten. Victor Wooten, yeah. And then there's a whole DVD series of uh, lessons that go along with that. Awesome, I'm writing that down. Yeah, this is uh, right now. I've just started the Dwayne Almond uh, biography, Sky Dog. Nice. I just finished the um, the Black Crows book in five days. Yeah, yeah. Which was incredible. Nice. Um, so, I'm going to divert for one sec since you mentioned Dwayne Allman. One of the, just for a deep Dwayne Allman kind of cut that most people might not know about, um, Herbie Mann, real funky flute player, put out an album called Push Push that had Dwayne Allman playing on it. It was one of the last things I think he did before he died. And uh, that combination of that slide guitar and the funky jazz flute, yeah. really, really, really cool. It's probably, might be in my top 10 or 15. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the combination of if we want to steer away from <laughs> Miriam right now, yeah, we've just Grappelli and Grisman, um, right? That is a very unique combination as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, Stefan Grappelli, the uh, gypsy jazz violin player, born in Paris, France, in the you know, like early 1900s, and oh, then oui, oui. and then Grisman from California. Um, mandolin player born, you know, almost 40 years later, um, in the late seventies, they get together and put on this show. Grisman's, Grisman calls his music, uh, he calls it dog music. I think his nickname was dog, D-A-W-G. So his, his dog music is sort of this fusion of, um, klezmer and bluegrass and, flamenco and all the, all of these different and classical all combined. <clears throat> so when he got together with this gypsy jazz guitar player, Stefan Grappelli, um, for a pretty phenomenal show in 1977. Um, yeah, it was, I think it was just, they captured that magic in, in the air that night. And that was mm-hmm. live, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't notice that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was, it was very soothing, you know? Definitely. Uh, I was working to it. It di- it doesn't distract me a lot. Yeah, yeah. You know, it just kind of puts you in that zone, that place where you want to kind of relax and concentrate on what you're doing. For sure. I think with both of the records we've talked about so far, um, the like I feel like I could hum almost all the solos and melodies from all of those. Like there's just there's something about the way they they create them that really moves me. 
Mm-hmm. I'm on for me right now. <laughs> I don't know if I can do it when I'm put on the spot. <laughs> well, hey, yeah, okay. yeah. talk is cheap. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> I need just a little, a little primer, you know. I want a little more tequila. That yeah, help. yeah. We'll get you to hum. And same with you know. Okay, go ahead. No, I said we'll get at the end. You'll, you'll hum one. Sure. Have yeah. a little more tequila. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. Well, cool. Yeah. So I, I really like that. Anything else you want to say about um, Grappelli? What I mean, tell me more about Grappelli. So you're, he's the old Griezmann, violin player from from France. Yeah. So he started the Hot Club de France with the uh, incomparable Django Reinhardt, um, mm-hmm. the you know guitar player who like me was had a mangled hand and every you know people go to the ends of the world to try to emulate Django's style um he's really popular in Japan and people actually so what happened to him is he had his bottom two fingers on his hand were which uh, hand left or right on his uh fingering hand fingering hand yeah were um fused together from an accident of fire so everything he did on the guitar was with these Th- fingers, and I guess he probably did some stuff with his thumb too. Um, but yeah, so he and Grappelli, you know, from the probably late 1920s, um, for for a decade or two there until Django passed, um, really kind of developed that whole gypsy jazz style over there. Um, the other thing about uh, that live show is it's all organic string instruments, there's no um. No amp, like, not even an electric bass, like an upright bass and guitars and mandolin. And, um, you know, in this day and age, it's rare to get to see performances that are fully all organic mm-hmm. instruments. So, and when they can blend that well together, it's just every every one of them has their their spots and their things that they do and complements each other. Yeah, I love going and seeing, like, a really good bluegrass band that mm-hmm. it's just, like, one mic. And so whenever, whenever my solos, they step right up to that mic and they yeah. start playing it's amazing. You know, that's yeah. uh, it's very cool. Definitely. Okay. Um, let's talk about Bob Marley. Bob Marley. Wow. Bob Marley. Robert. Yeah. Um, well, I'm a huge reggae fan. It's something that I've been studying and listening to with fervent. Is that a word? Sure it fervent. is. Fervent. tonight. With, yeah. <laughs> Since fervent. I was... Uh, 16 years old i remember in high school driving in london ontario canada driving around listening to israel vibration and culture and a lot of uh, a lot of roots jamaican artists that no other 16 year old kids in in canada were listening to at the time but um i went deep down that rabbit hole and still do to this day and um currently producing a bunch of reggae with some artists here in Austin and in Jamaica and in Africa and in Canada. So there's going to be some really cool stuff coming out soon. Um, but Bob Marley and this record survival, um, is the record that I ran to for probably the better part of a couple years when I was in university, it was just for getting out on my run, just the, the rhythms, um, and the way that it, each one, you know, the pacing of them, I guess, the tempo, it just got me through my 45-minute run really well. And especially with the the last song, um, oh, geez, oh my gosh, it's slipping me right now. Um, is it war? Everywhere is war. I think so, yeah. Um, yeah, and obviously Bob Marley, all of his albums um, were innovative in their own ways and 
Um, this one was from the late seventies. Um, I think last time we were talking about, there's a track called one drop on mm -hmm. the record, which is the most clear example of the one drop reggae beat, um, with the emphasis, with the kick drum emphasis on the three and, um, yeah, he's, yeah, Bob's the man. I, I agree. And, um, you're very adamant about picking, um, this one survival. Yeah. And my question to you now is I have two questions for you. Mm -hmm. Why survival right. out of all the other Bob Marley albums? Yeah, true. And actually, I've been listening, I've re been re-listening to a lot of them. I actually just, on my run today, listened to Kaya. And I listened to Uprising a few days ago, and I listened, listened to Confrontation. And again, they all hold a special place in my heart, and I know all the lyrics to all of them. Um, but collectively, the survival record for me... I can't just listen to one song on it. I have to listen to it in its entirety. And I think it's just that connection with um, working out to it for a few years and um, taking those messages to heart every time as I was exercising. And yeah. So, okay, I'm putting myself in your shoes right, right. now. You're running in college uh -huh. and you, you understand the album. Yeah. I think it's really cool that, and I doubt that he made the album like this, but right. you know, in the art of the album, you have an album now that you don't have to turn over, that you don't have to go to the record player, right. but it's perfect for your run because right. it's it's just like it goes up and then it kind of comes down at the end. Yeah, yeah. Right? Is that, am I am I saying that right? Right, right. And I, that's I think that's a really cool concept for an album. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think he meant to do it, but yeah, you know. I feel like in this day and age, um, in general, people aren't focusing on. Um, creating albums that have this whole arc of the whole album or even, you know, of each side when, cause we don't think of them as, you know, these four or five songs and then you flip it and do it again. Um, and that's obviously due to a lot of things and our, um, our, uh, levels of engagement, you know, we yeah. can see about less than a minute of something or less than 10 seconds of something before you skip to the next thing. So, um, but I think most of Bob Al Bob Marley's albums had a really great flow and continuity to them. Yeah, I um, you know, I'm a huge, massive, massive fan of the whole art of an album. Yeah, Front one side, two side. Everybody says, "Oh, you get to go up there and flip it over." That's not my point. My yeah. point is, is that you know, each side is its own EP or its its own album. So you have a you mm -hmm. know, anyway. And um, I believe that art has been lost, be it like uh, energy going up and down or the reason they do it because uh, it may be of a story or because of whatever it is, that art is lost. And, hmm. you know, because I never really sat around when I was a kid and listened to albums. Right. I didn't start getting into music till I was like in college. Right. Um, but yeah, so it's, um, uh, and I, I'm bummed because a lot of times I, I didn't, I didn't have that experience growing up. Yeah. Sitting yeah. around just looking at an album cover as I listened to the album, you know, I never. Right. So, hmm. but um, Jerry Garcia. Yeah. What I'm noticing here is three of your albums. Yeah. Are live. I I was just thinking the same thing, and truthfully, the world of Miriam Makeba, um, even though it's a studio release, you can hear the room. Like it, yeah. it there. I doubt that there was any real overdubs on that record. Um. It sounds like she she and the singers, everybody was tracking at once. So, But yeah, three of them were actual live performances. Um, and as a musician and 
a patron of seeing many live performances over my life. Um, yeah, that's that's where the magic. Well, again, you can make studio magic, but when you when you capture an entire performance, you know, like uh, Dead Reckoning, that acoustic Grateful Dead record, mm-hmm. you know that one. Uh-huh. Oh I my did. goodness, yeah, that again, that's probably just outside of that top five list. That I, that performance, oh my god, you're a big fan of the Dead, huh? Um, I grew up listening to the Dead. Was introduced to the Dead in high school, and then um, found that my uh, my gravity sort of shifted more towards the Jerry Garcia band and the precursor to that, which was Jerry Garcia and Merle Saunders and the precursor to that, which was Legion of Mary, um, because of the, uh, the real, the, in that arrangement, um, Jerry's main other foil was always a keyboard player. So whether it was Merle Saunders or on this live show, Melvin Seals on the Hammond organ and the, generally a Rhodes and a clavinet. The Grateful Dead had a lot of keyboard players over the course of its career, but none of them really had this heavy keyboard influence. And then again with the Jerry Garcia band, it was kind of his opportunity to play a bunch of more old soul standards and things like that. And um so less less psychedelic and more kind of still soul jammy. groove. Still jammy, still yeah, for sure. And what I noticed on this one was that there the the keyboards, the B three is very prominent. Oh yeah, yeah. You know that, and it's like okay, I get it why he loves this one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's bringing in a gospel organ player and gospel female backup yeah. singers, and um, and doing. I think there's a couple Dylan tunes on on that live show, uh, a couple originals. Um, How sweet it is, great tune, which I know is in that my, his or is that James? How Taylor? sweet it is. No, is it James Taylor? Maybe. I don't know. I thought it was like Smokey Robinson or something. Maybe. I don't know. Huh. Uh, I but just I was just first hearing it from James Taylor. I was uh, playing it the other day. I'm thinking of busting it out in a show one of these nice. days. Yeah, I need to. Um, so that show, the Jerry Garcia Band show, is from the mid '90s, I think. Um, so getting close to the end for Jerry, he died in 1995, which is crazy to believe that that was 25 years ago. Um, but I think he was in good form that night. Um, for those that don't know. You know, he struggled with a lot of addiction issues. And at one point in the late 80s, I think he had a, um, he went into a coma. And mm-hmm. when he came out of it, he had to relearn how to play guitar. And so those last few years of his life, he was kind of relearning lyrics and relearning how to play guitar. But his tone is, um, is unmistakable. Yeah. You know, you could, you could play, you could, try to trick me with any you know maybe there's some other band that he did a session on but i would i would be able to pick out that tone anywhere for sure all right give me your top three guitar tones that you can pick right out of the bat uh you hear three notes and you know who it is well john schofield of course um he's uh charlie hunter and jerry garcia i would say would be the top three trey anastasio from fish would be number you can pick his also. tone out. What's that? You can pick his tone out. Trey, yeah, okay. for sure. Um, and to me, that's the sign of a great guitar player. Um, there's a lot of guitar players in Austin, and I could walk down Sixth Street and not be um, probably most of them aren't going to capture me at all. It takes that takes somebody doing something really different to kind of grab my attention. Um, who was I thinking about? Uh, Ron Sexsmith. 
No, not Ron Sexsmith. Martin Sexton. Martin Sexton. Martin Sexton. Actually, he. It's not just his guitar, but his just the tones that he produces. I've been listening to him for a long time, but I saw him for the first time this summer, and I was I was just I was like he must have his own sound person because the way that he's working the mic with his vocal, the way that he's working his guitar, like un unbelievable tone, like tone master. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and throw a couple out there at you mm-hmm. willie nelson mm-hmm. that guy right he, he plucks one and you know it's him yeah uh mark knopfler okay yeah for sure uh i'm looking at the, the, the bigger names yeah um i really can't say keith because right um i was driving home from work one night and i was like oh my god brand new stone song and it was sheryl crow <laughs> <laughs> so right my favorite mistake that the intro part reminded me totally of, of Keith. Right. But those are two that I, I would say right now. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, part of my, I guess my goal in this life as a musician is to try to define my own sound too. Right. Um, and I play vintage instrument, vintage keyboards and I've got a s- series of pedals that I think I use in ways that maybe other people don't. So I'm where I'm still working on trying to define my own sound, you know? Well, uh, I I think you've got a, a killer sound. Cool. And I love playing with you. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else about Jerry? I'll tell you, I, I've got a story about Jerry Garcia. Yeah. Um, one time, my friend and I were going driving out to uh, Tempe, Arizona. I think nice. it was Tempe to go see the dead. Nice. And we're taking my car, and I had a Jerry sticker, you know, just like kind of that purple. Do you remember that one? It was just kind of his head, cartoon of his head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was I was scared driving out there because I thought so, that I was going to get pulled over and right. in trouble because they saw that they, they've got weed on them. Right. Which we did, but yeah. um, um, so I took it off my car. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, well, the other thing I would say is that uh, there I didn't even realize it when, uh, but there's definitely this theme of almost all of these musicians have uh, some sort of physical ailment as I do. Jerry's missing a finger like me. Um, well, in the Grappelli, yeah, his associate Django was, had a mangled finger. Bob Marley was missing a toe. So, yeah. Soccer. Amputees. Uh, <laughs> Give it up for the amputees. That's right. Cheers. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, um, I want to talk about Curtis Mayfield. Yeah. And I want you to tell me why this album is the one that you chose for your top five. Well, I mean, I remember the first time I heard Curtis Mayfield and being immediately drawn to the funkiness of it, this real, uh, you know, minimal drum and bass, but then often with these big string arrangements around it, and then his high falsetto voice, Um, you know, he, the sound he created is the, is the sound of the whole um, black exploitation and and a lot of what he did became informed hip hop and and sampling like so much Curtis Mayfield has been sampled over the years. Um, this live show from '71. Um, when I listen to it, if I was to listen to it with the lights off, I would I would feel like I'm there. And uh, they don't edit any of it out, any of his you know in between stuff. And right, um, it's just a 
they're not digging in too hard. It's not an arena show. You know, you can hear every nuance of the drum kit, the, the congas, the percussion, the guitar, the bass. And um, it's like church to me. And uh, out of the gate, it starts kind of funky. And then so that he can get across his political messages, it goes up and down in tempos and grooves. And um, yeah, it's just one of my faves. Yeah, no, I um, I really appreciate his fact to speak his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was, uh, I love the way he was, you know, stand up black power and, you know, not just that, but. Right. Um, you're right. Spot on. The, the political messaging that he has in his in his music is is second to none, if you ask me. Yeah. I think another artist like that is Michael Franti. For sure. Who I freaking love. Yeah, definitely. Who I'm sure uh, also drew a lot from, from yeah, Curtis. And, I bet he did too. Um, I've seen Franti a bunch of times, um, but probably one of the greatest times I got to see him was in in an intimate show like this just himself with an acoustic guitar and a Congo player and maybe one other acoustic guitar player in Maui in about 2005. Um, and it just, in that situation, um, you know, maybe a couple hundred people, they were all just hanging on to every word and listening. And, um, I've since seen him play a lot bigger shows and he can still get that message across with a big Mm -hmm. band behind him and a massive decibel level. But it's great when, uh, when it's when it's that intimate and i feel like that curtis show was super intimate and anybody that was at it would just if they're still here today would have crazy memories of it mm-hmm. awesome um so what about his other albums like was it superfly yeah superfly uh was i don't know if superfly was his first record after the impressions or not um so the impressions came about as a you know, a soul kind of harmony group. Um, And they were, you know, trying to, trying to speak to some social injustices and some political messages. But um, ultimately Curtis was drifting away from them and and needed to kind of get away from those kind of safe, you know, really kind of happy, uh, grooves and melodies Mm -hmm. and kind of with the funk that he just kind of developed went into some, he had to kind of get into darker territory with that to have the, have the messages that he wanted to say. Um, I just read his biography in the fall and it was amazing. And one of the coolest things I learned in that was the tuning, the unique tuning that he devised on the guitar. So whenever I've listened to it, I've, I've realized, you know, I've always thought, okay, he tuned down a half a step as mm-hmm. a lot of artists will do so they can, um, be in E flat and B flat and A flat. But actually what he did when he was learning to play the piano, just on his self-taught, a guitar showed up at his house and he just grabbed the guitar and tuned it to the, to the black keys. So he tuned it to an open F sharp. And that was the tuning that he used for his whole life. And I don't think anyone else has ever done that. Um, yeah, really open F sharp. Man. Yeah, that's like a, that's a crazy tuning. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So I've started to uh, fool around with a guitar, and I've got one at my house tuned in open F sharp, and just trying to write in his style. Because again, since since he passed on, probably nobody's doing it. Are you just loosening the the strings like two frets? I guess uh, You're not no. Tightening it up, are you? 
I, <laughs> I can't even remember. I know you're tightening them all up. You're tightening. You're tightening. Yeah, tightening yeah. All they're up. all going high. Um, yeah, I have my uh, I have my roommate usually do it for me because <laughs> so, he knows guitars. Um, I really don't. But uh, what was I going to say about that? Um, well, a, a cool story from the from the biography was that. Uh, when they went in to cut the first single, when they demoed it, just the three voices and Curtis playing the guitar, um, you know, the producers were like, this is amazing, this is a hit. And then when they went to track it, the, the session guitar players just couldn't do, they just couldn't do what Curtis did. And because of contractual stuff, he wasn't, um, he wasn't allowed to play the guitar. So they had to sneak him in at night to lay down the guitar and then that became their first hit. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. I love those stories. Um, okay, so I was going to ask you something. So let's. Um, so you you realize that you are going to have to. Um, what was I going to tell you to do? Oh well. Um, let's talk about. Now you have a standing gig, at one of the coolest clubs in town, if not the coolest. I think that Sea Boys right is where all the cool musicians hang out. It's a pretty cool club. Yeah. Um. I had a friend visiting from Canada, a great producer up there, uh, a year or so ago. And, you know, we popped in after a show and, you know, there's Steve Berlin from Los Lobos and there's Gary Clark Jr. And I'm like, this is just a regular night here at Sea Boys. And he's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it goes. So, um, Jamie and Mike Flanagan play there practically every weekend. Yeah. Um, so the people that have, that own the Continental Club and the Continental Club Gallery, Sea Boys, Um, is the kind of the newer little brother, little sister to that, uh, just up at the top of the hill of Congress. So you got the Continental Club at the bottom of the hill and Sea Boys up at the top. And um, one of the most amazing things about it is that they have a B3 organ on stage, um, as they do at all three other clubs now here in town. Um, so when I play there, we all there's also an upright Wurlitzer piano that we have mic'd up, and then I bring my vintage Johoner clavinet and put that on top of the organ. So, to go out to a little club in Austin and have all of these vintage keyboards on stage, like right away for me, that's just that's just heaven. And then yeah. uh, I surround myself with a bunch of great players, and we do our funky thing there. Uh, last month we were doing Tuesdays. This month we're doing Mondays. So we'll see what the future brings. All right. So, are you uh, gonna morph into being Crystal Finger? Yeah, Crystal Finger is is kind of the uh, the moniker that I'm give that I'm you know Jay Styles is a cool name, but um, my friend Michael Weintraub, a uh, photographer in Nashville, um, he kind of he said you should call yourself Crystal Finger on account of that I actually wear different crystal prosthetic right. fingers, um, and uh, and I also like that because even though I'm you know the driving um, songwriter for this project. Um, I don't consider myself to be, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good musician. I'm a, I don't know, working towards great baby, but I surround myself with monster musicians and it's what they bring to all of my tracks that kind of give them life and breathe life into them. So just like, you know, Bonnie Vare is really Justin Vernon. I'm kind of, you know, just using a moniker to, uh, to oversee this whole thing, which is a revolving cast of players. So the record that we made last year has about 13 different Austin musicians on it. And every time that I go out as Crystal Finger, it's more or less a different band every time. So 
which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to keep it fresh. Fresh. Um, I remember the first time that I met you. Do you remember this? I do. Yeah. Was it at the Rattle Inn? It was at the Rattle totally. Inn. Totally. Yeah. And we were playing after you. Right. <laughs> and you came up to me and you said, hey, man, you want some keys? I got a pretty good ear. Nice. And I was like, all right, yeah, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> and you did. You sat in and you fucking nailed it. Nice. It was killer. Um, well, and you know what? That And, and uh, like really saying I have good ears is really um, just another way of saying that um, I'm going to listen. And circling back to Victor Wooten, listening is like number one, you know? And there's a lot of musicians in this city that don't listen. And uh, well, I, that's I, that's number one. That's the first thing you need to do when you get on to, into any stage or anything with anybody. The first thing you need to do is listen. Mm-hmm. I agree 100%, but I can listen my ass off and still not know what key, think I know what key it's in. And right. It's not. Right. You know, so, but it, you can. That's, that's. Yeah. Difference. You have a different ear than I do. Right. I know. I I know the way that I think a song should be written, and and I understand all that. But when it comes to saying, "Oh, you're playing a G," here we go. Right. Right. You know, I I can't do that. Right. Well, keep practicing. I, I, know, I know. I need. To, I need. I need to practice. <laughs> Me more, too. Yeah. More time. I've been studying. I so, studied for a couple hours today myself. Um. Let's talk about where the people can find Crystal Finger outside of Sea Boys? Um, well, so Sea Boys is kind of our home base where we like to try out new stuff every week and have a bunch of special guests. Um, in December, over the course of the four shows, we probably had close to 30 different special guests sit in. Nice. Um, so I'm all about the collaborations. Yeah. Um, where else are we playing? We're playing at Whip In this weekend. Well, not just places. I mean, like, let's talk about online. Oh, online. So yeah, on... yeah, sure. Um, so Spotify and iTunes and YouTube and all that. Um, it's very DIY. So if you right. see any videos, I've likely made them myself. Right, and right, I've right. got some basic video editing skills and I can shoot some video and sync it up to tracks. Um, but, uh, you know. What about social? Uh, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, all What's that. What's your handle? Crystal Finger. Crystal Finger. On Crystal Finger one, I think, on uh, Instagram and Crystal Finger on Facebook for sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right on. Um, so the so the record we made last year that's you know sort of um, I guess what we're technically promoting and talking about right now, which I love. Yeah, thank you. Um, did it five one two studios here in Austin with Omar Vallejo um, and myself producing and uh, core crew of. Alan Eckert, beautiful, tasty drummer who can also sing. I mean, this is, you know, I'm in, I'm in the best spot of my life having this, um, been here four years and being able to call on some of my favorite players in town. And one of the things that I really love about this band is that everybody can sing. And so finding a drummer like Alan that can sing these beautiful harmonies and bird on the bass, um, on the record, I had the fabulous David Palkingham who often plays with me when he's not busy mm-hmm. with Patty Griffin and then Aton seconds most of the time Love also that. badass. Um, and then, uh, Scotty McIntosh did some wicked sax arrangements. Uh, often he gets to play with, you know, he plays with us as much as he can in town. Um, and then I even had another keyboard player on the record too. My good friend, Zach Morgan played some clav and some synth. Yeah. Um, so there's all sorts of awesome vintage keys on the record. Wurlitzer Rhodes, Oregon, uh, melodica, clav, what else? 
I don't think there's any acoustic piano. So okay. sometimes I, once in a while, I'm like, I need to make just an acoustic piano album, just a clavinet album. So I've always got uh, a lot of things on the go. But uh, yeah. Right on. When are you playing next? Just Sea Boys? Um, so I've got this whip in is this cool little spot uh, on 35 yep. by Old Torf. Uh-huh. I got Indian food and, you know, classic Austin, like wicked Indian food and mead and all these great beers on tap. So um, playing there uh, this weekend on Saturday cool. night. Yeah. Uh, how many people? Uh, it's a four piece this weekend. And again, in classic Crystal Finger style, it's a total. Uh, Smash. Yeah, it's it's uh, Mario Castellanos on bass, who I play with in a number of different projects, and the uh, incredible Rob Kidd, who I also play with in a bunch of projects on drums and Aton on guitar. So, um, Rob Kidd's one of the first people I met in Austin, and uh, you know, he uh, we play in Pike and Sutton together, and um, I've heard a lot of stories about Frosty through him. Mm-hmm. I, I was here. I didn't get here until after Frosty and all that. But uh, why don't you talk about a little bit about? Because I love Rob Kidd. And, mm-hmm. and you never got to meet Peanut. Okay, it was his dog. He used to bring into the Continental Club and sit on his lap. <laughs> <life life. laughs> um, I love Rob Kidd. But you play in Pike and Sutton. What, who uh, else do you play with on a consistent basis? Um. Well, I've been playing uh, Tuesday nights with Henry Herbert, this boogie-woogie piano player from okay. England, and I play Hammond organ with him. So that's, again, this Austin is such a great place. Like, you can walk into, and this is at Seaboys, you can see this British boogie-woogie piano playing, playing with a Canadian organ player, you awesome. know, and then a that's bunch killer. of Texas cats into the rhythm section. Um, Tom Lewis plays drums for that, who I play with uh, when Charlie Faye is doing her thing um she just had mm-hmm. a baby but we're gonna get ready to do some shows cool. uh, starting at south by um Susanna Chaffel's doing happy hours this month so as much as i can i like to play with her is she um, doing them again this month she is what, she's what, at sea boys on thursdays on thursday happy hours okay mm-hmm. we played together on new year's with my hero david garza uh, um old austin who lives in la now but um hopefully he's going to take over one of my sea boys shows he's going to be in town at the end of january producing a record um so yeah i mean i do session work at a few different studios and uh Every week, it's sort of a different gang and, you know, a different thing who I'm playing with. So, right. Oh, Robert Kraft. We've been doing some great things. So this band, this Crystal Finger band, this Saturday night is actually the band that um, I kind of built for Robert Kraft, who's okay. this cool soul singer in town. He has dancers that come out to all his shows. It's I, great. I want that at my show. I know. It makes um, it way more fun. All right. So all of you musicians out there that are co- recording albums, if you need <laughs> some keys. Nine-fingered reach keyboard it. player. Yeah. That don't matter nothing to me. <laughs> um, reach out to Crystal Finger, Jay yeah, Styles. thank you. I got, um, I got a lot of vintage instruments in my home studio, and I'm happy to travel with them too. So, Right on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thanks for sitting down with me tonight. Thank you, Gunner. And... Um, I'm going to watch you take a real shot of tequila now. Sounds good. All right. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was Jay Styles or Crystal Finger. Call him what you want. I like to call him my bud. Anyway, go check him out at Sea Boys for his residency, and I promise there's no way you'll be disappointed. I promise you that. And make sure you check him out on Facebook and Instagram. He's got a lot of cool stuff going on over there. If you got the gumption, head over to TheBigGunShow.com. That's TheBigGunShow.com. And check out what my band is up to these days. You can also catch us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, all with the handle of The Big Gun Show Band. That's the beginning, band on the end. 
Our most consistent gig is our monthly residency at the Little Longhorn Saloon, a.k.a. Ginny's, here in Austin. It's home of Chicken Ship Bingo. We play the happy hour on the first Friday of every month. My recommendation is to bring Grandma. She'll have a blast. Now, I'll be back in two weeks, and then every other week after that, close your eyes. Get back on that desert island again. What five records do you have? Till next time. Oh, yeah.